0: The very latest from our local ag industry. The Farming Show with Dylan Honkut is next on KGMI News Talk
1: 790, 96.5 FM and KGMI.com.
2: Oh, there's no place like home for the holidays. Especially a warm and comfortable home. This year, deck the halls with an upgrade to your heating and cooling system and get a free water heater. Hi, I'm John Barron, owner of Barron Heating AC Electrical and Plumbing. From a new heat pump to a heating and cooling system upgrade, we're offering special incentives this holiday season, sure to warm your home and fill your heart with joy. Family-owned and operated for over 50 years, Barron backs all our work with 100% satisfaction guarantee and five-star customer service. For a limited time, Barron is offering a free water heater with the purchase of a new heating and cooling system or $500 off the HVAC system of your choice. With short wait times, fast track to installation and flexible payment options, you'll be happy in a million ways because for the holidays, you can't beat warm, sweet home. Barron, your full-service HVAC electrical and plumbing contractor. Our mission, improving lives.
0: Struggling to get that car door lock to budge? The lock might not be to blame. When the weather gets cold, locks seize up. Lubricating your outdoor locks in the fall and around New Year's can help keep them
1: operating smoothly. Having a good lubricant on hand can solve the problem. Stop by Accurate Lock and
2: Security today to pick up some TriFlow or LPS1 lubricant. For lockouts a little lube can't
0: solve, call Accurate Lock and Security. The locksmiths you can trust. Accurate Lock and Security. The security professional team. Online at AccurateLock.net. That's accurate at lock.net.
2: Hello folks, this is Phil George. I'm an elder law and estate planning attorney here in Bellingham and you might know me as the host of The Aging Hour right here on KGMI. I'm excited to share that you can now listen to The Aging Hour every Saturday and Sunday at 1 p.m. If you have questions about Medicare, Medicaid, long-term care costs, probate, bills, trusts, or anything else that has to do with aging, this is the radio show for you. Studies show that more than 70% of estate plans fail when families need them the most. Join us every Saturday and Sunday at 1 p.m. and we can show you how to set your family up for success
3: this be another step toward breaching dams the lower snake river something that we've talked about and has been Chewed on from a variety of angles here in the Pacific Northwest for a long time. Uh, And as we know, dams here in Washington State, Pacific Northwest, you know, Idaho, Oregon and beyond impact not just green power and and hydroelectricity. I think that's what most people think about. But as we've pointed out with numerous guests on the show in the past, it's about more than just power. Uh, It's about flood control, it's about irrigation, it's about transportation of farm goods. It is a huge piece of being able to grow the amount of food and the quality of food that we grow here in the Pacific Northwest. Welcome back to The Farming Show. I'm Dylan Honkoop, um, and I'm troubled by what I'm seeing. Some secret uh, wheeling and dealing going on between the federal government, uh, the Biden administration, and some other groups who are dead set on breaching dams on the Snake River. And some of them, I think that's just a starting point. They have other dams in their sights as well. Joining me right now with the Washington Policy Center is uh, the director of their Center for the Environment, Todd Myers. Uh, welcome to the program this morning. Thanks for being here. So talk about this this leak, I guess, Um and it was the members of Congress right that actually leaked the information of what what our federal government has been negotiating on in secret with only certain groups in this whole thing?
1: Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure who leaked it, um, but um, what happened is is that um, some tribes and and others have threatened to sue the federal government over the Snake River dams as they've done several times, right. And what the Biden administration is doing in an attempt to sort of end run Congress um, and the public is to sort of pretend to negotiate a settlement to that lawsuit. Um, and so they're you know behind closed doors and negotiating what they claim is a legal settlement. But in fact, they are sympathetic to uh, what the tribes and others want to do. They have openly stated that they want to destroy the dams um so what they're doing behind closed doors is trying to come up with a deal that they could pass off as a legal settlement um, to um, take that step now ultimately the dams themselves can't be destroyed um, without congress appropriating uh, the funding to do it so um, congress is still um, in the loop but this settlement tries to move the ball down the field um, toward ultimately destroying the dams.
3: Well, I, I heard from a, a, a very in-the-know attorney who's been involved in these issues for a long time based in, in Wyoming, Karen Bud Fallon, um, talk about this at, at a meeting a year or two ago. And, you know, a lot of the focus at that time had been on studies and the, what did the federal government study say and this study say, and what were our lawmakers going to do? And I believe there was a congressman from Idaho, I'm blanking on his name, who had a big proposal. Yeah. And she was saying, hold on, you know, this probably isn't going to happen legislatively the the route that may be where these folks who want to get rid of the the dams find some satisfaction is the legal route uh that, that's going to be through legal uh, challenges and rulings that, that they get what they want so is that is this basically a part of that? I mean, they're, they're saying, you know, the, the path that we're, we're not going to get Congress to vote for this, uh, but we're going to do it through legal rulings. At the end of the day, could they just get a court to say, no, the, the dams have to come down or you're saying that that can never happen because they a court could rule that, but Congress still wouldn't approve the money for it?
1: That's correct. So ultimately, you know, a court could rule. Um, here's what's going to happen. And the dams must come down to comply with the Endangered Species Act or something like that. But if Congress doesn't appropriate the money, um, then they can do nothing. Um, So that's that's where they're trying to get. And there's another aspect of this settlement of what's been leaked is that the you know, both the the plaintiffs and uh, the Biden administration recognize that it's very unlikely that Congress is going to do that. So what it appears that they are doing is um, imposing all sorts of legal restrictions and obligations on the Bonneville Power Administration. Mm. So recognizing that they can't take money from the federal budget, what they're gonna do is impose uh, financial burdens on the Bonneville Power Administration, which of course will have to make that up in electricity rates um, uh, to pay off those sorts of things. So there's even a mechanism that recognizes that Congress is very unlikely to do that. Um, So they're they're trying. Now, again, this in the settlement itself does not include a requirement um, to tear down the dams. It does have allocate money for studying how to replace the value of the dams, which I think was sort of ironic because Washington state has already spent millions of dollars um, purportedly doing that exact same thing. So everybody's spending lots and lots of money on on studies um, to figure out what happens after the dams are uh, torn down. But that's, you know, they're trying to move the ball, you know, the next step down the road toward destroying the dams, uh, even though they recognize they don't have the authority to do that.
3: Again, Todd Myers is with us right now. He's with the Washington Policy Center and their Center for the Environment. Uh, I'm Dylan Honkoop. This is the Farming Show here on KGMI. I guess we should roll back a little bit. I mean, We talk about the importance of the dams to agriculture. Of course, this will affect all residents, really, of the Pacific Northwest eventually via power rates. If this continues down this path and a lot of other things, um, including meaning climate goals, which will be that much more difficult, Um, should these folks uh, who seem dead set on this get their way. But we should roll back to, you know, the the whole concern here or the whole argument here really is that the dams are the big reason that endangered species, endangered salmon in the Columbia River system uh, and in the Snake River in particular uh, are not recovering. And we've talked about this before on the program Todd, and and even in the, the these leaked documents, there's mention of basically essentially the science is settled on this. It's the, it's the dams that are the problem. From what we've talked about and the research that you've done, that's not at all the case.
1: Yeah, in fact, NOAA itself. So one of the things that this settlement relies on is a political report out of NOAA in Washington, D.C., um, on restoring salmon in the Columbia River, um, Columbia River system, which of course the Snake River is part of, um, and they, in there, sort of insinuate that the dams are the problem. But they also have a footnote that says, "Oh, by the way." This doesn't override any other scientific, previous scientific assessments. Well, the previous scientific assessments from NOAA and those that NOAA have been part of, done by other federal scientific agencies, have said that they, we should keep the dams. In fact, the largest EIS ever completed, completed a couple of years ago, um, said very clearly that the dams should not be torn down. Uh, because the marginal difference between destroying the dams and keeping them for salmon runs on the Snake River are very low. And the reason is because lots of other things are impacting salmon, not just on the snake, but across the Pacific Northwest. Ocean conditions are a huge impact uh, on salmon everywhere, and you see salmon returns struggling to deal with poor ocean conditions. Seals and sea lions uh, the washington uh, academy of sciences um, came out with a report this year identifying seals and sea lions at the mouth of the columbia and in puget sound as a major reason that we aren't seeing um, salmon populations uh, return so th- the notion that the snake river at the dams um, are what's causing the problem um, is simply contradicted by science from um, federal scientific agencies from washington state uh, scientific assessments um, and uh, from other private assessments which show that um, returns on the snake are not um, different really than returns across the northwest when you look at how many fish go downstream and how many fish return, a percentage that return that that percentage is very similar on the snake as it is across the northwest we have a larger problem with salmon recovery. that is difficult um salmon are struggling chinook in particular are struggling on the snake but they're struggling in puget sound they're struggling on the coast they're struggling elsewhere in the columbia so um, this fixation this myopia that focuses only on the snake is really unscientific and contradicted by all sorts of scientific
3: sources Talk about, uh, excuse me, salmon recovery goals. Uh, You've talked about that, and and you you reached out to the governor's office to get some word on that, Um, and they had interesting things to say. Uh, A word from the governor's (laughs) office is that it's apparently succeeding at salmon restoration.
1: Yeah. So there was a story on King TV in Seattle about the governor's uh, climate and environmental goals, and these are the goals that the governor himself set. Um, and the story was about how the failure um, of the governor's administration, of the, the Inslee administration, to meet virtually all of those goals, including goals that he set for himself for state government, about the amount of um, uh, EVs that they're supposed to purchase, the amount of biofuels that they're supposed to use, recycling rates, all sorts of different things. And so in response, the governor's spokesman said, well, what about um, salmon recovery? You know, Why didn't you focus on that? And so mm-hmm. I said, OK, let's look at that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, the, the, the governor's – there is a, literally an office called the Governor's Salmon Recovery Office um, that does a, a really good job actually. And they uh, release an assessment every two years. And so last year's assessment um, says that we are um, either not making ground or losing ground. Um, on virtually all of the the salmon runs of concern. That's very different than 10 years ago. 10 years ago, they were like, things are getting better. We're moving in the right direction. Mm -hmm. Uh, We actually had targets for 2020 for Puget Sound Chinook. We missed that badly. So things are not getting better statewide and the governor's own salmon recovery office and administration admit that. And yet they downplay those failures but somehow want to fixate on the Snake River Dams as, you know, a reason to destroy the dams. And it's again, it's not about science, it's about politics. Um, and so they ignore the data that show that they're failing. Um, but they wanna you know, point to the snake river somehow being
3: unique when it's not. Now there are a lot and by the way, this is the farming show. I'm Dylan Honkoop. We're talking with Todd Myers with the Washington Policy Center. Um you know, the, the dams that are slated for removal, well, I guess slated for removal is, is strong, but the the ones that, the, that folks want, certain groups that we're talking yeah. about want to get rid of. Um, yeah, yeah. Some have said, well, you know, there are lots of other dams in the Pacific Northwest as part of this whole system. We could maybe, and th- this was, I think, uh, a focus of the uh, Idaho congressman's uh, plan uh, that had had tackled this issue a couple of years ago, obviously raised a lot of eyebrows, uh, but yeah. some some even within the farming community saying, okay, well, we could figure out a way to, to deal with the loss of those particular dams. Um, You know, this replacement, that replacement, of course, more trucks on the road to haul um, the agricultural products, particularly wheat, that the uh, dams, you know, that navigation that makes that the dams make possible would be gone. Irrigation, well, we could figure things out. The loss of power, those particular dams don't produce a huge percentage of power, but it would have an effect. Do you think this is about more than just those dams? though is that just the starting point
1: well in fact you mentioned congressman simpson from idaho who uh you know has argued that we should destroy the dams and came up with a plan of about 35 billion dollars um to replace the functions of the dams we think that number is low one because i've never seen a government estimate that was high um (laughs) and second we did our own modeling um with a a group that does um, energy modeling in the Midwest and found that just replacing the energy alone is about $35 billion, let alone all the other benefits that um, you talked about. So so that's the first thing. The second thing though, is is that one of the things that Congressman Simpson said is okay, if we do this, um, the environmental community and the tribes and others have to agree that these are the only dams that would come down, um, that we wouldn't tear other dams down. And like within 48 hours, the environmental community said, no, we're not agreeing to that, (laughs) making it very clear that -hmm. they, in fact, do want to tear down the other dams. And I think the Yakima tribe in particular has said that they want to remove all dams on the Columbia River system. Now, that would be just crazy. But just focusing on the Snake River dams alone, they provide about 8% of Washington State's electricity. Um, That is now slightly less than all of the wind and solar in Washington state combined. So imagine if I said, let's, you know, wipe out most, if not all, of the wind and solar power in Washington state, people would freak out. But that's essentially what they are saying when they say, let's tear down the Snake River dams in terms of um, carbon-free energy. The other thing that, that hydro provides is reliability and flexibility. Over the last six days, there has been basically zero wind energy generated across the Pacific Northwest, uh, Washington, Idaho, and Oregon. Um, the Bonneville Power Administration has a um, live look um, at energy generation, and over the last six days, it's been basically zero. That changed today, and we finally got some wind today. Right. But if you don't, if you are relying on wind and you don't have – You know, hydro, adequate hydro to back it up when that wind disappears, you're in real trouble. I mean, you have a huge gap, and it's not, and it's not simply a matter of you know putting the wind turbines in the right place. It is there was no wind across the three-state area, so you start really to get in trouble when you play games um, by diminishing uh, the capacity that you have in hydro, not just in terms of total overall demand, which is going up but in terms of being able to meet the changing demand during the day.
3: I think this comes down in in a lot of ways, comes down to the the public just not even understanding how our power grid works and how, you know, the, the role that hydropower plays, not just as, you know, producing power. Yes, it does that. Not just in terms of producing it with water without having to burn uh, fossil fuels. Yeah, it does that. But also its ability to uh, soak up the highs and lows in the power grid. And a lot of people don't think about, you know, what keeps it all steady when we have a hot day and everybody turns their AC on or we have a cold day, especially as we move um, in this region and as a country really toward, uh, you know, a electrification as they say and and want to do away with uh natural gas say as home heat well you know those are going to be big spikes in power use how is how are we suddenly going to get more power hydro can do that and respond they, because there's so much stored energy in a reservoir what else is going to take those bumps out of the the system out of the power grid if if we don't have that
1: well, and in fact, there was an assessment by an energy um, environmental group that looked at, okay, if we tore down the dams, um, how would we replace it? And there, and the, the headline that they said is, oh, we can replace it. It is possible. But when you look at the study, what, they, what you find are two big things. One, they didn't actually replace all of the energy. They replaced it between 80 and 90 percent of the energy which at a time when demand is going up is Mm -hmm. ridiculous, right? the second thing is that it would increase co2 emissions because they would admit that a certain portion of the energy lost would have to be replaced by natural gas so they themselves said not only would it increase costs not only would it not replace all of the electricity that we lost some of that electricity would have to be natural gas so that i mean that's the game that these folks play is they themselves admit that this is a bad idea for um energy um but they just sort of sweep that under the rug because there is this mystical attachment to tearing down dams um that's very frustrating um you know i don't if you gave me 35 billion dollars to do things for the environment spending (laughs) it all on one stretch of the snake river to have a marginal benefit for salmon recovery as the uh, environmental impact statement shows I just think that's a that's a crazy waste of money. There's so many things we could do um, to recover salmon that would be far more effective.
3: Well, and the, and the ripple impacts and and one of the earliest and biggest ripples here in our region would be on farming um, and and the loss of ability to irrigate protect. Uh, uh, Fields and, and communities from flooding, uh, the inability to uh, transport farming goods down the river to our ports uh, on the Pacific, it, the losses would be massive. Um, we've got more to cover. Let's take a quick time out. Uh, Here on the Farming Show, Todd Myers, a director of the the Center for the Environment with the Washington Policy Center, is our guest this hour here on the Farming Show. We're talking about environmental issues. And as we know, uh, some of these big issues often uh, connect with what happens with the future of farming in Washington State. Um, More on that straight ahead as we continue our conversation here on the farming show on kgmi
4: my daughter she's six years old now well soon to be she's 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 a go get and she has a she's a boss lady i have her operating some of her little businesses candy business and she loves it daddy daddy um, Let's go to work. Let's go see if we need to fill up the machines with candy. And let's collect my money because I want to go to Disneyland. (laughs) Beautiful. I love that little girl. I like her heart. She'll come in and she'll offer lunch to the employees. And then she'll come to me and be like, hey, dad, need your credit card. (laughs) You know what? It's something that I would do myself. So I have no problem. Here's the credit card, honey. Go buy the, the sales guy some lunch. And that's what she does. She comes in here and she pretends she owns the place. And matter of fact, she does. But it's fun. It's fun to see her develop her leadership at an early age.
0: Xavier Cortez is the owner of Bellingham Nissan,
4: part of the Cortez Auto Group.
3: Lindale Glass is your premier window and door company in Whatcom and Skagit County. With over 35 years of professional installation experience, you can rely on the dedicated employees at Lindale Glass to provide an exceptional install. Lindale Glass features Millgard windows and doors. Leading the industry with innovative, high-quality products, you can be assured of a product that is customized for your home. No shortcuts, no gimmicks, just excellent service and exceptional quality from Millgard. Visit a Lindale showroom to learn more or online at lindaleglass.com.
0: This week with PW Perks, you can get two $25 gift certificates for the price of one at Menace Brewing. And yes, you heard that right. That's $25 worth of free beer. You don't need to go to Boston to find a place where everybody knows your name. Menace Brewing in Bellingham's Fountain District is family owned and operated and pet and family friendly. So when you're at Menace Brewing, you're always family. Whether you're looking for a place to catch a soccer match, test yourself on trivia night, or grab some delicious food from one of of their rotating food trucks, Menace Brewing is your friendly neighborhood brewery. Stop by from noon till 10 daily and enjoy a refreshing craft pint. Bring your friends and make some new ones. So next time you'd like to get away, head to Menace Brewing on the corner of the Guide and West North Street in Bellingham. Thursday at 8 a.m., you can get $50 to spend at Menace Brewing for just $25. For more details, go to pnwperks.com or this station's website The opinions expressed on this program are not necessarily those of KGMI or the Cascade Radio Group.
3: The truth about improving the environment in Washington State and is farming the good guy or the bad guy? Of course, someone have you believe that farming is the bad guy. Often this is on drummed up issues that when you look at the science fall flat. Uh, and that's what we're finding with this issue. You know, talking about dams uh, in Washington state. And yeah, we, we talked about the power issue, but dams are huge for farming in Washington. And of course, you know, what, what has been um, debated for a long time is whether the government should allow the removal or f- even fund to prove the removal of uh, a couple of dams in the lower Snake River. Of course, the folks that are calling for that want more dams taken down. Well, there was an interesting comparison made recently by three members of Congress about this issue uh, who kind of put it back at, at Washington Governor Jay Inslee, welcome back to the Farming Show. I'm Dylan Honkoop here on KGMI. Uh, our guest this hour, Todd Myers with the Washington Policy Center. He's the director for their Center for the Environment. We've had him on the program many times. Todd, talk about, okay, would you just in the first half, if folks missed it, and by the way, you can find it as the Safe Family Farming Show on SoundCloud. Uh, if you missed any segment, any our know, episodes go back. Years there if you want to check them out. Uh, but in the first half uh, hour this morning, we talked about th- this secret negotiating going on by groups that are just um, chomping at the bit to remove uh, dams on the lower Snake River, and as we pointed out, and as you explained and, and show, that probably their MO is about removing more than just those dams in the long term. Uh, but how that doesn't comport with, doesn't align with the science on salmon recovery, because that's the, that's the argument. We've got to take the, the dams out to save the salmon, and you're showing the science really doesn't back that up. Um, that's w- what Governor Inslee has been involved with, um, and he kind of got some pushback on that from uh, Dan Newhouse, uh, Congressman Dan Newhouse, uh, and Congresswoman uh, Kathy McMorris Rogers, and I forget the name of the Congressperson from uh, Oregon as well who joined them in in kind of saying, "Hey, uh, Governor Inslee, why don't you why don't you deal with?" Salmon issues in your own backyard. Talk about this water quality in Puget Sound issue and how it's connected.
1: Yeah, so um, <clears throat> Congresswoman McMorris Rogers um, and the other folks you mentioned asked the Government Accountability Office, so what didn't come out of their office, it came out of the Government Accountability Office, um, to do research on pollution in Puget Sound, um, asking them, okay, so what's going on in Puget Sound? Because we know. Um, that sewage spills, other types of pollution, for instance, there's a chemical in tire rubber called 6-PPD that has really, uh, at very low levels, has a very serious impact on um, coho, um, basically kills them almost instantly. So the question was, okay, you're focused on the Snake River dams. What's happening in your, essentially, you know, uh, the governor's backyard in Puget Sound? And the GAO came out with a report and said, yes, this is a very serious problem. Um, And what's more, the Washington State Department of Ecology is not doing its job uh, to provide assessments under the Clean Water Act um, of the current status of pollution to track pollution. So the Department of Ecology um, is charged with implementing the... um, Clean Water Act in Washington State. Um, The federal government oversees that, but um, ecology is supposed to do it. And what the uh, GAO found was not only was the Department of Ecology not doing that effectively, but they found that um, Washington State was doing worst worse and this is this is what they said worse than most other states Mm. (laughs) which i thought was just remarkable because what we hear all the time is is that washington is a leader washington cares about the environment Um, the administration constantly tells us that oh they're just they're doing such great things Um, As we talked about, the governor's own press secretary said um, that salmon recovery was a highlight um, of what uh, his administration was doing. But here's the GAO doing an independent audit and saying actually the contrary, that Washington state is behind most other states in assessing uh, pollution in Puget Sound. Um, And, yeah, the – uh, what they have to what what the Department of Ecology does is that they do what what are called an impaired waters list, which is, you know, the waters of the Washington state that are uh, that have pollution problems. So how can you solve a, a problem if you don't even know yeah. what the targets are? And that's and that's what GAO found.
3: Well, and maybe uh, I don't know, this could be assigning motive uh, unfairly. I don't know. But, you know, could there be a, a, a motivation not to know? Uh, what's really going on with that issue because – as you said, that is a a big pressure on salmon recovery. Um, You know, tire dust is something that we've talked about here. I had a researcher who proved some of, you know, aspects of this, a researcher from WSU, her name escapes me at the moment, uh, here on the program to talk about it a a few years ago, you know, and and, and we have other things pointed to that we have to do, whether it's removing dams, other things for stream, uh, streams in terms of habitat and a lot of other stuff. Yet no one seems to want to talk about toxic tire dust and other urban stormwater pollution. What are they going to do about that? Um, as well as some of these other things, you know, uh, ocean uh, warming and acidification, uh, predators, um, you know, seals uh, and, and uh, sea lions eating salmon. No, nobody wants to seem to talk, talk about those things. Why is that, that the the focus uh, is in other areas and often, you know, for for the interest of this program and what I do, ends up being things that uh, point the finger at farmers and I think often unfairly.
1: Yeah, and I think it it is very frustrating. I can tell you within the salmon recovery community, because I sit on the Puget Sound Salmon Recovery Council, that these things are discussed. Um, Predators, right? Seals and sea lions. The Northwest Indian Fisheries is very open, very vocal about the need to reduce the impact of uh, seals and sea lions. That, however, from a political standpoint, yep. is not nearly um, as easy to do as to blame um, other people for problems. And so that is one of the things that we have complained about. In fact, I wrote um, a large paper this summer um, and actually did a, an op-ed in the Seattle Times with one of the former um directors at the puget sound partnership who worked on salmon recovery and he i uh, wrote this piece together where we complained that too much of our funding for salmon recovery was being put to politically chosen uh, projects rather than scientifically designated projects and one of the areas that of course many farmers are familiar with is the issue of streams and stream temperatures um which really you know focused on farmers as the culprit stream temperatures and streams are an issue right we do need to address um uh the fact that that waters can get too hot but it's not the only issue and in many cases it is not even the most important limiting factor in salmon recovery um and so the concern is that it is easier to, you know, pick a fight with farmers or or point the finger elsewhere than it is to say we need to do something about uh, the number of predators in Puget Sound. And here's a, a, I mentioned the Washington Academy of Sciences report on seals and sea lions, uh, saying that they're having big impact. And one of the data points in there that I just thought was fascinating was that they estimate that there are actually more seals and sea lions now. In Puget Sound on the coast and at the mouth of the Columbia, than there were um, pre settlement because tribes mm-hmm. hunted them. <laughs> right. And so uh, that's, I mean, you think of so many animals, so many things, there are just, you know, many fewer now than there were two and three hundred years ago. That appears not to be the case with seals and sea lions, which exacerbates the problem. So it is a real frustration that um, our environmental policy tends to. Um, be focused on where they can find Culprits and people mm. they can blame, rather than on more difficult issues, difficult political issues, right. uh, where the science says we should
3: focus. And speaking on you know stream temperatures and shading stream and habitat, I mean, the farming community just got kind of a gut punch recently with the uh, the CREP program, the Conservation Reserve Enhancement uh, Program, uh, and the the funding debacle with with that. So you know, the farming community, as frustrating as some of these things uh, can. B be, has been doing things, has been participating in that part of the recovery, where, you know, an area where they can anyway. And even that ends up, um, you know, it, it, for some people, really having the rug pulled out from under them. Again, uh, Todd Myers. Uh, with the Washington Policy Center, is with us on the farming show here this morning. I'm Dylan Honkoop with Whatcom Family Farmers and Save Family Farming. Another thing that you and I had talked about recently... Todd here on the program was uh, fuel taxes, fuel surcharges, whatever you want to call it, as a result of the Climate Commitment Act, the cap and invest program, as they like to call it, uh, on fuel. And everybody's been feeling this at the pump here in Washington state, but farmers were supposed to have been exempt. I see the State Senate uh, Ag uh, Agriculture Committee well, agriculture, natural resources, parks, I don't know, there was a long list that they they focused on, but uh, I'll call it the Ag Committee, uh, tackled this in in a work session uh, just a couple of days ago um, what's the latest on, on dealing with that? You, you were the, the guy that sounded the alarm on this issue from the get-go. You accurately predicted within a few cents of just how big of an impact this was going to be. The governor uh, and his staff denied what you presented um, at the time, say, scoffing, saying it would only be a few cents. Then it came to be, and on top of it, one of the issues that was promised that that got the votes to pass this whole thing was that ag would be exempt. And they still haven't fully dealt with this issue is anything happening there
1: well i there was some hope recently because there has been a um, a group brought together that include the farm bureau and and others mm-hmm. to discuss how to deal with this but based on the hearing this week the Department of Ecology is still dragging their feet and still saying it's not that they it's not their responsibility, despite the fact that in the law itself, it says that the Department of Ecology will figure out how to make um, agriculture exempt from paying um, the very high price of the taxes on CO2 emissions, which, you know, have which have increased um the cost of gasoline about 50 cents a gallon and the cost of diesel about 60 cents a gallon so um you know what we have seen at the pump is virtually all but not quite all of those costs are being passed on to the consumer um but um if you're buying wholesale um, from uh, retailers, from uh, from uh, fuel distributors, right. they are passing that whole cost on and is being listed. So how do you deal with that? Well, Department of Ecology says it's not our problem. Well, it is. The law says that they're the ones who are supposed to do that. And furthermore, they're the only ones who can do it because if you are a fuel distributor and somebody comes to you and says, hey, I'm buying this for agricultural use, and the you know, the fuel distributor says, okay, great, we won't we won't pass on that tax. And then you go to the Department of Ecology and they say, Well, how do we know? No, mm-hmm. you should have we're charging you for those gallons, whether you collected the tax or not. Sorry, you need to prove to us that they were uh you know used for agriculture. So at the end of the day, only the Department of Ecology can approve you know, those sorts of exemptions. And yet they are the ones who say, it's not our problem to figure out. It, it is absolutely absurd. And I just think it is really emblematic of the arrogance that the department has had throughout this entire process. Um, and it's as you, you know, you mentioned that when I predicted, and again, when I predicted what the impact would be, and, it, and what I need to say is, look, I, this is not because I'm a genius. <laughs> this is because I looked at the estimates of the cost, and I used a a very common formula about what the impact, how to translate that into prices at the gallon used by the state of California. So I used other people's data and I just said, here's what it's going to be um, if these projections are true. And what I was told was is that I didn't know how to do the math, that I was simplistic, that I wasn't very bright. I mean, they literally in one interview just said, well, he may have done some math but you know it's not that simple um and that same person now um is you know saying telling the farming community um hey this is not my problem this is not my this is not my uh, problem to solve and i just think it is they are confusing uh, arrogance for intelligence and I just think yeah. it's totally irresponsible.
3: Yeah. I don't know Todd if if you were able to listen to that committee hearing on that uh, this week but you know in the the part that I heard you know the 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 guy from ecology who who was apparently in charge of all of this basically made it sound like well oh, we've kind of we basically figured it out and yeah we got a couple more things to figure out but we'll we'll, we'll get it done. And In the things I'm hearing on the ground, that is not at all the case, and they're still outstanding, I think, in, what is it, hundreds of millions of dollars of extra money that's been paid um, by folks that should never have been paid and needs to be refunded, in my opinion.
1: Well, absolutely, because that money has gone into uh, the pocket of the state government. So what happens is, is that if you're a BP or you're a fuel distributor, and you sell, you know, a gallon of diesel, you have to pay the taxes on that to the state to purchase uh, the allowances. So the state has the money for that. So one of the things that people have balked at is, okay, so how much, you know, who refunds this and how does this work? Well, the money money has gone to the state. So only the state can do the refunds. And so again, The problem is with the state. How do you account for this? How do you prove whether it's agricultural use or not? Those rules have to be written by the state. And where is the money for the refunds? It's in the state's pockets. So the fact that we are at the end of a year still negotiating these things, rules that should have been done in 2022, I just think is really outrageous.
3: Well, talk about greed. Like you said, they have... (laughs) money they have the money but they're refusing to refund it well you you got to prove it apparently the onus is on everyone else even though though the law specifically says the onus is on them uh how much todd how much money has been generated by cap and invest so far i mean it started the beginning of the year right we're not even a year into this thing
1: that's correct and so far they expected um Excuse me, I've forgotten the, the exact number, but I think it was between three and four hundred million dollars to be generated yeah. um, this year, this yeah. calendar year. Um, they have generated one point five billion, and we still have the fourth quarterly auction to go, and likely another special auction because they keep breaking the price cap. So every time they brace, break a uh, price cap. They put more permits on the market in order to try to increase supply to reduce the prices. So it, it is not inconceivable that they could end up with five or six times as much money as they expected. And again, that is all taxes, that yeah, money, money out of out, our pockets, out of our economy. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, they badly, um, uh, you know, uh, uh, screwed up in, what? in terms of their prediction about what the prices would be
3: so 1.5 million what, what it could be like two billion, billion yeah. yeah billion a uh, billion yeah. by the end of the year roughly
1: yeah if we if the past um, quarterly auctions are an indicator they've tended to take <sighs> about three to four hundred million dollars in so <laughs> so if the fourth quarterly auction is like that and i my guess is it will be because the prices are very high we could see two billion dollars
3: what's happening with all that money what are they
1: doing with it well, that's the other funny part about it, which is we don't know. Um, we know about 200 to $300 million because that's what the legislature budgeted. Um, and then the, some additional of that money is going to transportation. But most of that money is unallocated because it was so far above what um, was expected in terms of revenue. So, um, what I think you're going to see in the legislative session in January is that they're going to start figuring out all sorts of ways to spend that money. Um, they've already talked about, you know, lots and lots of things that we don't have enough money for. Revenue in Washington State is going through the roof. If they can't make, you know, if they can't provide services in all the different areas with the huge increases they've received. I just think it's mismanagement. But what you're going to hear is, oh, we have shortages here, we have shortages here, we have shortages here, um, and that's what I think they're going to do is use that money to fill in all those gaps that they uh, claim to identify.
3: And kind of a bombshell. We just have a few seconds left uh, here on the program, but a bombshell just recently with with uh, an economist for the state, for the state department of transportation. You know, back to your estimating of the impact that all of this would be. This is this tax that is generated is on. Track to generate probably around two billion dollars just in this first year of the Climate Commitment Act, the Cap and Invest Program. An economist saying that internally he had come up with numbers similar to what you come, had come up with, but leadership silenced him and was trying to get him to you know bur- uh, you know cook the books.
1: Yep, they told him two things: one, don't do the calculations and two don't put any of this in an email because emails are disclosable so not only did they not want they wanted him to hide the impact of the um tax on co2 which as you said was virtually identical to what we estimated they wanted to make sure that there was no documents in state government that would show that uh, that they were trying to hide the impact so really irresponsible and ultimately they ended up pressuring him so much that they essentially eliminated his job. So he's filed a lawsuit. It's
3: it's pretty sad to hear what's really going on. Um, and it, it just it adds credence to what you're saying is, is a lot of these political decisions and statements and policy positions, et cetera, et cetera, are based on that politics, not on the science Uh Todd Myers with the Washington Policy Center. Thanks for being here this morning. We very much appreciate it. Take care. And folks can check out his uh, blog and and his posts over at WashingtonPolicy.org. Click over to the Center for the Environment. And um, lots of good stuff to read up on there. Todd, thanks so much for your time.
1: It's always nice to chat with you.